In the end, it's about people and their decisions. You want them to decide to repay their debt. It's not that people sit there and just look at the facts and figures, but they are in a complex situation and we have to understand their situation, where they're coming from, what their reasons are. Welcome to Collecting Thoughts, CNR Software's new podcast. We're your one-stop shop for digestible industry news, anecdotes, and advice as told by the boots on the ground industry leaders and subject matter experts. We'll be covering topics across the collection space, technology, and finance. I'm your host, Christina, and I'm happy to have you join us. Today's guest, Maria Duneva, is a consultant and corporate trainer based in Berlin, Germany. After completing her PhD in psychology on the topic of decision-making difficulties, she worked as a behavioral scientist in a consultancy and as a team lead in a debt collection fintech. She now advises companies on how to make their products more customer-friendly and effective by incorporating psychological insights and supports teams and individuals by delivering evidence-based trainings that lead to long-term behavioral change. Maria, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for inviting me. So I'm very excited about this episode because behavioral psychology and just psychology in general uh, is very fascinating to me. Of course, we'll be tying it into collections and the debt collection world and how organizations can improve their business by focusing on consumer behavior. But before we dive into that, why don't you give us a brief 101 breakdown on the psychology behind consumer behavior in decision making? Although people are complex and it's hard to, you know, make general statements that apply to all people, there are some tendencies that are quite universal. In recent years, uh, there has been a lot of talk about uh, decision-making and biases, etc. Yeah, I want, I want to just start with the idea that sometimes we make decisions based on facts and logic. Some other times, more influ- we are more influenced by emotions, etc. But most of the time, both of those work together. And it's hard to separate uh, one from the other. But for me, that's already the first crucial point. It's not just one or the other. And for a long time, um, it was assumed that people make very rational decisions, are mostly interested in their own outcomes and their self-interest. But then psychologists started questioning that notion, showing um, through data that, huh, actually we are influenced by so many different factors and sometimes in a surprising way. That's when, um, yeah, these biases came in, showing that sometimes we make irrational decisions, irrational choices. And for me, the goal is not so much how can we make people behave more rationally, but just accepting the way it is and using it to to our advantage without manipulating people. So that's my yeah general understanding where I come from. And this thinking for me applies to all kinds of areas. So also debt collection, but but in general, even when it comes to dating decisions, how do people choose their prospective partners? Um, yeah, there is also a lot of research on that. Yeah. And being someone who's in marketing, Consumer behavior and having companies implement it isn't necessarily new, right? Like people craft thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars in marketing campaigns based off consumer behavior and trying to lead them in a specific direction. But it's not really something you'd think of in the debt collection space. So how how does it tie in there 
when when you're dealing with this industry and trying to get people to repay a debt? In the end, also in debt collection, it's about people and their decisions. So you want them to decide to repay their debt and not to decide otherwise, uh, to not spend their money on something else. So again, it's a decision-making situation. And also, again, it's not that um, people sit there and just look at the facts and figures, but they are in a complex situation and we have to understand their situation, where they're coming from, what their reasons are. I think for the longest time, debt collection has uh, mostly done this approach, which is the same for everyone. Doesn't matter if it's uh, someone old, someone young, what their circumstances are, their situation. But nowadays we have this data, we have so much data available and we can use that. And I urge everyone to use that. So in, in debt collection, we can think about, as I said, the, the various reasons why someone doesn't pay. If they don't have the means, the approach should be different than if they're just forgetful and uh, have to be simply reminded. It's different whether they are maybe young, female, have bought a pullover, or if they're older, a family guy uh, who has bought an insurance. People are different. We should also target them in a more specific way, depending on where they come from, what their goal is, and also what the, the obstacles are for them. And for those for those who work in collection agencies who don't have a resident psychologist to help them with this, what mm -hmm. kind of data points should they be looking at? Because I'm sure it's data they already have readily available. Mm -hmm. There is some literature out there which shows some relationships between data and willingness and ability to pay. So if they really don't have a clue where to start, I would look into... The, the literature that's out there, the debt collection agencies that already have this kind of approach, talk to people, see where they have overlap, make observations. So looking into what's already out there, where do we see connections? It doesn't have to be super sophisticated. So nowadays we also have AI, et cetera, text mining. We, we have a lot of our at our disposal, but it doesn't need to be that complicated, but it makes sense to consult with someone because it's always so different depending on, on the industry. The number of data points you have, the more data, the better. But again, it doesn't need to be super complex to make predictions. And I also always urge whatever, whatever you want to try to make an experiment before you want to influence your customers, your clients. Think about the factors that you want to look at, but then also to have like a control group. So always have a, have a big picture and don't just jump into something because some other company has done that or some paper online has shown that this approach works. That's also the tricky thing. Sometimes it might work for 90% of the cases, but not in your specific case. Which goes back to the, your data. Like, I feel like there's so much messaging around nowadays what collection agencies should be doing. And I, it can get overwhelming, I'm sure, for those in charge to make sure they're keeping up with the latest technology and making sure their tech stack is as, as advanced as they're being told it should be. But to your point, getting lost in the what I should be doing versus what actually makes sense 
to do is something they really need to pay attention with, especially if they're going to start focusing on this behavioral experiments. Because I'm sure some of them can probably not go the way they expected to. Mm -hmm, exactly. So sometimes there are these uh, flashy examples. Oh, we changed one word in our message and then so many more people answered and so many more people uh, paid back. And yes, it can work, but it's also not a magic trick and it can also backfire. So you never know how people interpret, especially language. It's not universal. It can depend on the culture, on the context. Sometimes it is well-intentioned, but people get it the wrong way and then they might do the opposite of what you wanted them to do. So that's why I also say, mm, maybe start small. Even if you have a great idea, maybe don't try it with all of your consumers, but start with a, with a smaller sample and see, does it go in the right direction? And then you can still decide to scale. And behavior and preferences can change over time. So I think in the, in the beginning, one example, the, the scarcity principle, when you're on a booking website, uh, hotels or flights, and it tells you, oh, there are only two seats left. And I would say for a while that worked pretty well. Now people know this. And so they're like, hmm, we've caught on. I would always be, as I said, cautious with, yeah, immediately trying those things on a, in a large scale. If you want to, to try this scarcity principle, okay, um, let's go for it, but be prepared that people might also be suspicious and might feel manipulated, worst case. So it's kind of like you said, any, I'm sure anybody who's in tech or marketing will be familiar with this, right? You want to have an A-B test. You want to make sure you don't put all your eggs in one basket. Mm -hmm. For those people who do want to start working with behavioral psychology and kind of leading their consumers to, to keep them on top of their repayment hierarchy, right? Can you give some easy examples somebody could do? Because you mentioned like, yes, there's so much technology out there, but it doesn't even have to be that complicated. Yes, exactly. So if you have a lot of uh, data, exactly, you can get uh, lost in it. And let's say you, you don't have the capacity or the statisticians, uh, et cetera, uh, data scientists to, to deal with this. You can start with some simple principles. In, in psychology, there is the theory that people have just a few basic psychological needs, autonomy, a sense of belonging. You can start thinking there, okay, so what can I create to increase a sense of autonomy, for example, because in debt collection, that's mostly reduced. People feel like they are trapped. They don't have a lot of room to do something. So why not give them options, payment options? They can choose uh, maybe the number of rates, at least to a certain extent. So wherever you see some room for giving them autonomy, choice, that's good. On the other hand, there can also be some choice overload. That's also what we have a lot nowadays. So the, the way you frame a choice is as important as the choice itself. And there you want to find the sweet spot between giving people some choice, but also not overwhelming them. Um, and in this context, one of the most powerful effects is the status quo or default effect. Uh, it's been shown in many contexts, such as organ donation, etc. So if something is the status quo, then people are yeah, most likely going to follow it. They need good reasons to go against it. So 
If you want them to pick a particular thing, frame it as the status quo from which they have to opt out. But still, they have the choice. So this is one basic example, which is still very powerful and that you can use in this context as well. Very relevant too. I mean, payment plans. I know some debt collection agencies, depending on the software they have, they'll have the ability to provide in real time payment plan examples. So a company could adjust their interface, like the customer portal, to maybe add some design elements that kind of brighten up one choice versus another. So it seems like that's that would be an example of putting what you just said into action, right? Exactly. And then the the other basic psychological need, belonging, we are social creatures, so we orient ourselves uh, towards others. When we're not sure what to choose, oh, what, what does he or she do or the group? So it can also be helpful to provide information about others' behavior. 70% of other customers in your area, in your city or whatever have done this, have chosen this option. Maybe this is also something you could consider. So again, you're not forcing them, you're giving them a choice, but you're also providing them some support. They're not overwhelmed by the decisions. Again, something you, you can try, but it has to be truthful. Otherwise, again, people might feel a bit uh, manipulated or they could become suspicious. So I'm also always uh, arguing in favor of an ethical approach there. It's so interesting that, you know, you are a consultant for different fintechs or debt collection agencies. Would you say that's common or is psychology and actually partnering with psychologists something that this industry is just now starting to get into? Mm, I see it more and more, definitely. I think they, or most industries, are realizing that, oh, as soon as we deal with people or build products for people, we should better understand people. And of course, psychologists can support there. I think there is still a long way to go, but I see it in more and more industries and companies, banks, also all over the world, uh, yes, various kinds of fintechs. So I really don't see an industry, as I said, which designs products for people, which deals with people where um, they don't benefit from it. But sometimes companies don't know they could. <laughs> you have to show them the benefits, give them really clear case examples, and then they realize, oh, I see where this could also help us. But it's not it's not super intuitive at first. If a debt collection agency or a financial institution with a debt collection department wanted to seek the help of a behavioral psychologist or any kind of psychologist, where do they start? Like, how would they go about connecting with somebody? Is it as simple as just putting a job rec on their website or? Yes, yes. So um, the question is, uh, do you build an in-house team? Um, so I was leading a whole behavioral science team. So that was a core part of the company. And sometimes it's called behavioral scientist, psychologist, behavioral economist. That's also a bit tricky or is it rather a data scientist that you're looking for? There are behavioral data scientists. So it's a pretty young, new field. So finding the right people or the people who want to go into this field, finding the right companies, and that's uh, sometimes a, a bit of a, a tricky issue. But yes, that works. 
going to conferences. There are consumer behavior conferences where people present this kind of research. Yeah. And also really talking to, to other companies, industries, which are not even maybe related uh, to your own, uh, to get an idea of what's possible, who are the people who do that. But I feel that I'm still pretty niche <laughs> in that sector doing this kind of work. And when I came in touch with that, I also never, never thought about, oh, how does debt, co debt collection and psychology come together? But once I started digging into the literature, I found it very relatable and that all these different principles in other areas of psychology also apply to that because money is also universal for people. It's, it's important to, to everyone. So throughout this podcast, I've been meeting with a lot of debt collection agencies that really hammer home on the relationship building aspect. So how can they use consumer behavior to help drive them to making the correct decisions when they're more so leaning on that humanization and one-to-one -one connection as opposed to, you know, they still have the technology and workflows and omni-channel communications, but at their core, they really rely on picking up the phone and talking to someone and building that relationship. Well, I think that relationship building can also take place, not on the phone, but uh, through, through messages. I think it's the, the whole package, how you, how you view your consumer. Is it someone I want to build a long-term relationship with? And then you can already communicate in a different way in your emails, letters, etc. Less formal showing that you take the personal situation into account. So for me, the key factor is personalization. Again, not sending out the same type of message, um, the same form of communication to everyone so that people feel seen. We all want to be understood, be seen as a unique individual and not just, just one out of a million and, and be treated the same way everyone else is, is treated, but seen in our unique situation. Acknowledging hardships, the unique situation again. So showing understanding, not being treated as a, as a number, but again, depending on the reasons, I would, I would suggest, for example, communicating, Hey, sometimes there are stressful moments. Maybe you forgot to pay and not being uh, aggressive, etc. Of course, this will not work for everyone. That's where the personalization comes in. But I would start with this assumption that People want to do good. Of course, there are some black sheep, but the basic premise should be you want a good relationship. The other person wants a good relationship. How can you make that work? Because this will pay out in the long term. It's not a trade-off. It's not repayment rates or customer satisfaction. It's, it's both and both go hand in hand. So, yeah. Yeah. And going back to the whole theme of just customer centricity is really becoming top of mind in the industry. Like, of course, we have our goals that we need to meet at the end of every quarter, but it's really gone from the black and white of, did I get the repayment versus did I not make the repayment to, did I make the repayment and did I maintain customer loyalty and did they feel like they had a good experience and I'm going to stay at the top of the repayment hierarchy. Like, there's so much more that goes into it nowadays. Yes, and I'm happy to see that development. And sometimes it's a bit hard because in the short term, a more aggressive and not so personal approach can be more successful. But exactly as you said, in the long term, when it comes to retention and the more humane customer centric approach pays out, you, you have 
data out there that shows exactly this. But in the beginning, of course, it's more work. You have to put in much more thought. Uh, you cannot do the one-size-fits-all approach. Mm -hmm. Investing the time and really digging in and understanding your data will, will yield good res results in the long term, it seems. So are there any stories that you would like to share maybe from a time that you helped a company that you were consulting with really get over a, a challenge that they were facing or a big win that you've had in, in a research discovery that you made, anything that you want to share? Yeah, so uh, I've done quite a few of those experiments, A-B tests. Uh, as I said, I'm a, I'm a big fan of those because you, you never know. For me, it's also helpful to think about which stage exactly you want to influence. Of course, in the end, higher repayment rate, that would be great. But what I find interesting is that quite a few people don't even open their emails or letters when they see, oh, it has to do with money debt collection. So the first step might be, how can we increase the opening rate as a first step? That could be already very promising because if more people open it and read it, more people can react and ultimately pay. And so with emails, you can play around with the subject line. I did an A-B test or proposed proposed an A-B test uh, where just the wording in the subject line was different. So just mentioning the potentially negative consequences of not paying also in the, in the main text. Because for us or people in the industry, it's clear what happens if people don't pay back, but they are not really aware of it. So just putting it out there and again, being cooperative saying, okay, how can you avoid this? If you pay now, this doesn't happen. But if you don't, mm -hmm, this and this happens. So really not threatening, just rather informative, being cooperative. Otherwise, of course, payment information and everything stays the same. And it's not like, okay, suddenly 50% more people answer or open, but a few percent can already make a difference. And it's, it's a very cost effective solution. So you're not uh, investing a lot of resources into it, but Again, playing with some expressions and language and seeing, okay, does this make a difference? And that's a really great example you bring up because it's reminding me that the whole point of this is to really improve in micro goals, right? The goal ultimately, of course, is to get more people to respond and pay back their distressed debt and help them get out of distressed debt. But you can't go from A to Z. You have to go from A to B and B might be starting with just increase those open rates. And then once you kind of land in that sweet spot, you want to increase response rate. And just thinking of it as like a marathon of these experiments and strategically improving your outreach strategy instead of just trying to throw some massive plan at the wall that might mm -hmm. skip a bunch of those steps and not work anyway. Exactly. So I would also be wary if I see a, a paper or some result out there that's, that seems too good to be true. As I said, we, we did one little thing and then things went through the roof and it worked for everyone. I'm not saying that's what companies or people do, but sometimes you get the feeling, oh, wow. Uh, as I said, humans are complex. It's hard to make predictions, especially about the future. That's one of those uh, sayings that's unfortunately true. So. Again, as you, as you also mentioned, uh, seeing it as many small steps along the way as this funnel, basically, that, yeah, you want to put 
as many people as possible through this funnels so that they ultimately pay. But if that's your only goal, you might miss out on other important steps. Mm -hmm. Oh, Maria, it has been so informative speaking with you today. Thank you so much for joining. Before we sign off, is there anything else you'd like to share? I think I would like to reiterate just the most important points to me, uh, which I think would be a, a nice takeaway. Really think about which behavior you want to influence, so to be specific. Second, to personalize your communication efforts as much as possible. And third, to use an experimental approach um, to start small because good intentions can backfire. And then if something works, you can still scale it. Absolutely. Again, thank you so much, Maria. It was very informative. Thank you.